With its recent exponential rise in popularity, even the casual rum drinker has come to understand the vast differences in regional rum choices. If rum was a cocktail party, the bright sweetness of Cuba or Puerto Rico would be dancing a salsa while groovy, thick molasses Jamaican entangles itself with smooth Caribbean baking spice of Barbados. Caramel-rich sippers from Venezuela or Nicaragua sit a dimly lit table in the corner, obfuscating under Panama hats and cigar smoke. New England rum sits glibly with one leg bent up over the other, stoic with an oaky barrel finish. Almost bourbon-esque in its delivery, it chats with the vegetal aromatic notes of French Martinique, who, by the way, is perpetually acting like he's better than everyone else, chiding the other rums for not having a proper quality control system like the AOC. Everyone had their place, knew where they fit in. They even put up with Captain Morgan constantly manspreading with his leg up on the chairs. Ah, all was well. That is until the Haitians showed up. One classically refined with notes of dried fruit and wood, the other a firebrand of loud, smoky, in-your-face pleasant pungence. No other region or tawar boasted two flavors juxtaposed in such diametric dichotomy. The music stopped. The revelry came to a standstill. Then Barbancourt turned to Claren with a wide, toothy smile. Each raised a glass... The tension was broken, and the party resumed. I used to jest that God must really have it out for Haiti. It appears that every year they get pummeled by a hurricane, earthquake, or violent upheaval. It would seem no matter where the storm system is heading, it will take a detour just to make sure it hits Haiti. But again, that was in jest. Because I've known for a while the rich history and culture of the Caribbean nation that shares an island with the Dominican Republic. That island was called Hispaniola by the colonial forces, once so ubiquitous in the West Indies, and whose footprint casts a still-lasting shadow of the past over the region. In itself, Haiti has been marred by tragedy, revolt, and a sideways eye of mistrust by its neighbors. It got from the French not only the root of a language, but the indelible sense of its own right to rebel against oppression. We're not going to dive too deep into Haitian history, as I am planning a different episode more appropriate for that dive. But as it pertains to the rum world, Haiti is a dominant yet often overlooked force. Originally inhabited by Taino indigenous people, what's now known as the capital city of Port-au-Prince, was colonially settled first by the Spanish, once a major hub for <coughs> privateers. The French didn't so much as conquer the city they called Hopital, as they did slowly move in and overtake it. Like so many Caribbean islands, African slaves eventually made up the preponderance of the population. Les Les du Prince, as it was known, was not the most popular city, but as other preferred seafaring locations like Périgueux were either malaria-ridden or too topographically inhospitable, a new city was established in the natural harbor of the Gulf of Gonave, dedicated as Port-au-Prince. And this is just where the story begins. Through colonialism, then the revolt and subsequent regime of the murderous dictator Papa Doc, and later his son, and I'm not making this up, Baby Doc, 
and of course the horrendous earthquake of 2010, to say nothing of the yearly hurricane bashing, Haiti has known its share of calamity. And today we're going to examine two distinct rums that perfectly exemplify the calamitous spectrum of flavor and integrity that so prevalently define a nation. Everybody, grab your khakis and your AKs, because today we're making the Port-au-Prince. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tony, and welcome to Politiki. The Port-au-Prince is a punch recipe created by Don the Beachcomber sometime in the late 1930s using Haitian rum. All right, guys, this has been another episode of Pa Tiki. My name is Tony. Please drink responsibly. No, but seriously, that's about all there is on the history of this elusive yet unassuming drink. It only lasted a few years on Don's menu, being gone by 1941. And to be frank, I can sort of understand why. It doesn't really do much to stand out from other punches, but we'll get to all that. We owe this recipe discovery once again to tiki and cocktail historian Jeff Beachbumberry, late of Dick Santiago. Someday we will definitely be de dedicating an episode to Dick's fascinating story of being the first famous bartender to come out of Don the Beachcombers. During Dick Santiago's 16 years slang and ranks for Don Beach, he kept a notebook of recipes. After lying dormant for decades, so much of our modern understanding of these original drinks comes from that notebook. If only Beach Bumberry could have found it sooner, maybe we could have skipped the sex on the beaches and apple teenies of the 90s. Those fallow, dark days of cocktails. Berry published Don's original recipe in his book, Sippin' Safari, which has become akin to a tiki Bible of sorts. For some time, the Port-au-Prince failed to receive the recognition enjoyed by its myriad of punchy menu mates. Surely, Don was using his rum genuity and vast knowledge of versatile Caribbean spirits to create a drink that could highlight the often neglected Haitian rum. But before we go any further, we need to dive into the meat of this episode, the flavors of Haitian rum. There are two mutually exclusive spirits coming out of Haiti, rum barbancourt a Haitian agricole, and Claren, the wayward and wild-eyed weirdo cousin of rum. Until recently, U.S. customers would have only been able to try Barbancourt, so we'll start there. In 1862, Haiti was enjoying its first 50 years of independence, having won it from France back in 1804, making it the first black independent nation in the West Indies. A misnomer itself based on the fact that Christopher Columbus thought Barbados was Japan, which is why they always drink sake during Carnival. And that last statement is about as trustworthy as Columbus's maps. But I digress. It was in this nascent country that Dupre Barbancourt landed in Haiti from the Cognac region of France. Dupre's mission was to use the methods of Cognac production to create a rum equal to or even better than the fine French brandy even going so far as using coffee stills and finishing his rum in French limousine oak barrels. Haiti was a pretty good place to start for this, as it once boasted being the leader of Caribbean sugarcane production. 
The climate and Tawar also offered a particular flavor profile in comparison to its Martinican neighbors, who also famously used pressed cane, pressed cane juice as a distillate rather than the molasses customary of other Caribbean rum manufacturers. Which, by the way, if you're just tuning into the podcast, is what distinguishes rum agricole from other types of rum. Traditional rum is made from molasses. Agricole is made from raw sugarcane juice. These methods resulted in a finished rum product that inherently shows off its cognac roots. Smooth and elegant, the nose is white raisin, grape, and dried apricot or mango, redolent of those dried fruit chew snacks you get at truck stops when you're on a road trip. The bite is not bad, and unlike Martinican agricole, it's less grassy than oaky. Overall, really more like a sugarcane brandy than a rum, but still with a signature tropical undertone. I would call it versatile because it's actually really good as a sipper, especially paired with a medium cigar. I recommend something like the Accomplice Classic from Principal, uh, Brickhouse from J.C. Newman, or Crown Heads Four Kicks. The only downside I see is that it's so smooth it kind of gets lost in cocktails with too many ingredients. I favor the Barbancourt 5-star, which is aged 8 years, so perhaps the 4-year might be a bit more forward, but... At only $30 a bottle for the 8-year, it's well worth springing for the extra 4 years of age. Okay, now we have to jump into Claren. Oh boy. Out of all the drinks and spirits we've covered on Patiki thus far, I've procrastinated on Claren the most due to my equivocal feelings about it. Flavor-wise, it's referred to as the mezcal of rum, and for good reason. That truly is the best way to describe it. Smoky, earthy, and vegetal. The sweetness of pressed cane juice is masked behind thick, heavy clouds of fragrant smoke. A sip of clarin is like standing at the bar of an underground jazz club, where the air is palpable. Cajun spices waft from the kitchen. The crowd is a low, murmuring din, and the full sound of Billie Holiday's band ebbs and flows from the stage, coating the dimly lit stone walls all the way to the door and back. It's a flavor that says, why not take all of me? If Rome Barbancourt has a certain je ne sais quoi about it, then Rome Claren has a certain je ne sais... Shut the fuck! Yeah, you better walk away. I'll, I'll slap the shit out. You better keep my wife's name out your mouth! <laughs> yeah, Claren slaps the shit out you with flavor but it's definitely an acquired taste. I can only do one glass at a time, and I have to really be in the mood for it. It's not my favorite, but it also is the only thing that satisfies satisfies the craving for that specific taste. As anyone who's been listening for a while knows, I prefer a smooth, refined, over spicy or violent. And Claren can be violent. It assails the palate, but in a pleasant way. You have to try it to see what I mean. The exception is when it's in a cocktail. It's highly effective for adding a little something-something different to the proverbial spice cabinet of cocktail ingredients. Because let's admit it, sometimes tiki drinks can be like Mexican food, the same five ingredients in different shapes. But much like how there is flavor outliers in food that stand out among the stereotypical cuisines like Mexican, Italian, or Chinese, Claren is the exception that proves the rule of rum. 
Though a lot of French influence is evident in its culture, Clarenne is an inimitably Haitian, through and through. It was once even associated with voodoo practice, adding to the mystique of this untamed, electrified potion. Although, I'm only taking poetic license with the use of the word untamed. In fact, Clarenne is in itself the product of masterfully taming the wild tawar of its beautifully unfortunate island. The key to Clarenne is the use of regional sugarcane varieties. Great effort is taken to cultivate sugarcane from particular regions showcasing the unique terroir and production methods of that the island has to offer. This is highlighted by the company The Spirit of Haiti, which offers three Clarenne varieties from three of the country's top distillers, Flaubert Cassimer, Michel Saju, and Fritz Faval are some of the first local distillers to make their work available in the U.S. On shelves, the bottles are labeled with beautiful artwork by local artists using their names as the branding, Clarin Vaval, Clarin Casimir, and Clarin Saju, respectively. Kate Perry, the U.S. market manager for the Spirit of Haiti, says, quote, The difference between the three Clarins is the difference between three producers from three villages in three different towars, unquote. It starts with hand-harvested raw sugarcane juice from indigenous crops. Clarenne producers are very adamant that all ingredients, production, and bottling must be from Haiti using traditional Haitian methods. Fermentation occurs using natural yeasts from sugarcane itself from the island in pot stills for 120 hours, after which a second rapid distillation takes place in small batch stills. Occasionally, more yeast or dunder may be added, but that unique intensity of flavor comes solely from provincial sugarcane varieties. Please do not let my earlier critique dissuade you from trying some. It's weird, but definitely worth having in your collection as a mezcal alternative or just for something funky to break up the monotony of your everyday rums. Now that we have a little bit of an understanding of Haitian rums, you know what time it is. Let's make a drink! During the Caribbean tourism boom of the 30s and 40s, Haiti enjoyed the label of being the real Caribbean, aside from the flashy Havana lights or Jamaican torpid sensuality. With its allure of voodoo and folk culture, Haiti was the virtual Greenwich village of the islands. That was until the Haitian Revolution, which began as a slave revolt and ended up being a coup d'etat power grab for the treacherous Papa Doc who considered himself the living embodiment of Baron Samedi. You know, that dreaded voodoo god who is always depicted wearing uh, the tall top hat? Well, Papa Doc's regime plagued Haiti with a legacy of violence it never seems to have recovered from. But that 20-year run as a tourism destination was long enough for Don the Beachcomber to create a few Haitian-based cocktails and cement the small nation into tikidom. We're going to go over three versions of the Port-au-Prince cocktail in this episode. Don the Beachcomber's original, the Smuggler's Cove variant, and Shannon Mustifer's modern rendition. Don Beach originally used two spirits, a Haitian rum called Rum Sarth and Pantalba, both extinct today. Beach Bomberry suggests using Barbancourt 5-star in place of the Rum Sarth. Easy, it's what I have already. Pontalba, though, is an old Louisiana rum that actually ceased production during Don's tenure as Tiki King. 
He had his bartender substitute Martinique rum, but there's no clarification on what kind. Molasses or agricole, light or aged. I used Clamont Visop, but I also tried a rum that I noticed Barry favors when he needs to stand in, or something to stand in. That is aged Virgin Islands rum. In this case, I used Cruisin' Amber out of St. Croix. With notes of banana, vanilla, and butterscotch, I actually think Cruzan is a fine rum in its own right. Don next used fresh lime juice, unsweetened pineapple juice, sugar syrup, grenadine, Angostura, and Munralaf. Wait, what was that last one? Sounds like some kind of Middle Eastern or Indian delicacy. Well, as we learned last episode, Don Beach had a penchant for secret codes and obfuscated recipes. This one shows he also had a sense of humor. You see, Munralaf is simply Falernum spelled backwards. Just make sure you're using Velvet Falernum from Barbados and not the non-alcoholic Falernum syrup. For more on that, check out our previous episode on the Island of Martinique cocktail. This OG Port-au-Prince drink is very punch-like. Fruit forward and sweet, it doesn't do much to highlight the flavor of the barbancourt, and in fact, it very much gets lost amid the stronger flavors of juice and grenadine. Perhaps the original rums would have stuck out more, but I contend that even Don knew this drink didn't have the it factor needed to share space with his other rum rhapsodies like the Zombie, Island of Martinique, or his myriad other punches boasting strong rums from Jamaica or Barbados. Substituting Clement does add some body to the pleasant earthy, grassy subtext of agricole, but then it takes over, making it a Martinique cocktail and not letting the barbancourt shine. Really, I taste no relevance to Haiti in this drink at all. I feel like you can make it with any rum and call it a Port-au-Prince and no one would be the wiser. Martin Kate, proprietor of Smuggler's Cove, must have felt the same way, because he came along and adapted Don's recipe into a drink that better accentuates the barbancourt and adds some character. He uses all Haitian rum and subs a rich Demerara syrup instead of regular simple. Those small adjustments really transform the drink, and that's why when it comes to the traditional Port-au-Prince, I think this recipe is the best. So here it goes. Half ounce lime juice, half ounce pineapple juice, half ounce velvet falernum, quarter ounce Demerara syrup, one dash grenadine, one and a half ounces of Barbancourt five-star rum, four ounces of crushed ice. Add all ingredients to a mixer and blend on high for 5 seconds. Open strain into a small rocks glass. Notice how the paltry amount of ice adds the right dilution and leaves a fun bubbly head atop the pinkish gold liquid. As previously stated, I used Barbancourt 5 star 8 year aged for my rum. Uh, I know I've said in the past that it's okay to use store bought grenadine and I'm here to tell you I was wrong. It's so easy to make at home and even in small amounts the taste is much better and fresher. Just boil equal parts palm pomegranate juice and raw cane sugar. You're essentially making a simple syrup, um, subbing palm juice for the water. For my Demerara syrup, I use a one-to-one ratio of water to raw turbinado sugar. It's basically just a deeper, richer molasses flavor. Also, a dash of grenadine, as it's called for, can be a bit of a pain in the ass. I don't generally keep my grenadine in a dasher bottle. I used the dropper method, a dash equaling six to seven drops, or one-eighth teaspoon. The result? Wow. Delightfully fruity in all the right places, herbaceous but not grassy, and just enough flavor to boost the elegant Haitian rum, not overpower it. it. (laughs) 
I get notes of freshly picked apples and cherries. It's possibly the most well-balanced fruit drink I've tasted, at least recently. The brandy-like notes of the rum coalesce nicely with scant pineapple, lime, and pomegranate, while Falernum adds that tropical Caribbean baking spice. The finish is flat, pale fruit, like melon or cantaloupe. But even with how much better this recipe is, it still leaves something to be desired when compared to the bold flavors we've come to expect from tiki. This is simply a very nice punch that no one would suffer to sip on a tropical island. That is, until Shannon Mustifer burst into the discussion like the Kool-Aid man filled with claren. Those of you who have listened for any length of time, even back to the early days, know that I have always been a traditionalist. I appreciate how amenable tiki is to interpretation, but I feel like there's a reverent gravitas to making the drinks the way the people who created them meant. I think over the years we've found small tweaks to adjust to the pop palette of the time, as is evident in this very cocktail, yet I still approach with caution those who endeavor to reinvent the Mai Tai. The Port-au-Prince is an example of where I am very wrong. Much in the way Claren upended our presumptions of rum, Shannon has done the same with the use of it in her interpretation of this drink. Shannon Mustifer, veteran bartender extraordinaire and author of Tiki, Modern Tropical Cocktails, has used her style and prowess to finally make a Port-au-Prince worthy of its namesake. Her version utilizes a base of Claren bolstered with overproof or dark Jamaican, or I'm sorry, dark Demerara rum. Being a bit of a wimp when it comes to the high ABVs, I found that actually using a bit of dark Jamaica like Myers or Karuba is, uh, doesn't add something or take anything away. It's such a small amount that because I used a lower ABV Claren, I'm able to deal with the overproof rum. So my spirits of choice were this, were the Claren Vaval and Plantation OFTD. Her other deviation was swapping out Angostura bitters for Elamakule Tiki bitters. Hopefully I said that right. Ella Macule by the Bitterman's Company. This has a um, Caribbean baking spice profile of nutmeg, allspice, and holiday gingerbread. Contrary to its name, it's not very bitter, but more creamy in the way it coats the palate like clove. It's not a very profound flavor, and I think it could be accounted for by just adding a pinch of grated nutmeg. I tried this version with Angostura as well and kind of felt like it was a little bit better, but not enough to change her recipe. But I did find that an extra drop rounded out the Claren a bit. So without further ado, I give you the Port-au-Prince. Two ounces Claren Vival, quarter ounce Plantation OFTD, three quarter ounce Velvet Falernum, three quarter ounce Lime Juice, half ounce Pineapple Juice, quarter ounce Grenadine, seven drops of Elamakule Tiki Bitters. Combine in a shaker with ice, Shake and strain into a 10-ounce Collins glass or tiki mug and add crushed ice to fill. Top with nutmeg and orange zest. Now, take a sip. Go ahead. I'll give you a minute to get your bearings. Isn't that crazy? Smoky, grassy, sweet and spicy, rich but crisp under fire. Pineapple and grenadine mellow out the pungent claren but leave plenty to still punch you in the tongue with flavor. Island spice and herby sweet char. It's a conundrum wrapped in a riddle with a dash of exotic quixotic. Bold and strange while simultaneously fruit and fruity and smooth. I've never been to Haiti, but I have bebopped around the Caribbean enough to be familiar with the no place on earth like it piquant so congruent with Afro-Caribbean nations. 
combined with all the research and rum tastings I've done for this episode, despite my ambivalence to Clarin, I can say this version of the Port-au-Prince is the best representation of Haitian rum culture in Tiki. At least that we've covered so far. And so it goes, the cocktail party of rums began to wind down. Hawaiian Kohana had a long flight to catch. New England rum headed back to try and convert more bourbon, bourbon drinkers. Someone said they saw French agricole absconding with Virgin Islands. Florida rum eventually showed up in jean shorts and flip-flops, but ended up leaving with tequila when they caught him trying to sneak in. Even Captain Morgan eventually relaxed after he pulled a hammy trying to show off how high he can get his leg. When all was said and done, Barbancourt and Claren were accepted as part of the family, and they all lived rummily ever after. Hey guys. Hey hey guys, it's me, Bacardi. Um is anyone gonna help me clean up? Come on, fellas, this isn't funny. This happens every time. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tony. And this has been Pod Tiki. References for this episode can be found in the blog post for this episode at podtiki.com. You can also find us, the podcast, across all podcast providers. But not all, only the ones I'm about to name. <laughs> Spotify, uh, iTunes, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher iHeartRadio, and of course, always the archives section at podtiki.com, where you can also find the archives of all of our drink recipes. Please check us out on social media. In, uh, Instagram, it is pod underscore tiki, or my personal page, rum underscore poet. We're also on Facebook as podtiki. And I please urge you to all go subscribe to our YouTube page, where right now you can find two episodes of my video podcast, Inside the Mug, as well as the clips that I put up on Instagram where I make the drinks visually. Um, there's a lot more to come online. I would like to start doing more live stuff on YouTube, uh, but I need to get my subscribers up so they let me go live. So please do that. Um, oh, don't forget to check out Surfside Sips for all your glass strawware and uh, drinkware, custom straws, tiki straws, glass picks. They even have these cool little cases now, little bamboo cases to carry your straws around town with you in. When you go to check out, just put in Pod Tiki, all one word, all caps, and that'll give you 20% off your order. And besides that, please drink responsible. And most of all, thank you for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Keepy Tiki. <laughs>